Coming up this week on Sporting Journal Radio. Hey, it's Fred Amundsen. Join myself and Dan Amundsen this week on Sporting Journal Radio as we unlock Lyme disease with Dr. Bill Rawls. I think there's a link between these low-grade chronic infections with intracellular microbes and every chronic illness out there. Also, Randon Olson unlocks early season walleyes with some tips for you. Look through for the water. Uh, there's fish up there. And Joe Henry talks about finding fish in high water at Lake of the Woods. Finding some slack water closer to shore, and they could go in there with, you know, like a half ounce jig and do just fine in that slack water. We're not just a radio show anymore. Hunt, fish, listen, repeat. Broadcasting from the Camp Grilling Studios, this is Sporting Journal Radio. Presented by OnX. Know where you stand with OnX. That's a new personal best bike here. Now here's your host, Brett Amundsen. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for being uh, here with us today on the show. We got a lot to get to, including unlocking Lyme. Lyme disease sucks. I don't like it. It scares me. There's wood ticks everywhere. I've been picking them off my dogs uh, lately like crazy. And of course, uh, a lot of this listing area deals with deer ticks. I was down south where I had to deal with the Lone Star tick. So tick-borne illnesses freak me out a little bit. So we're going to talk to uh, Dr. Bill Rawls, and he is the author of Unlocking Lyme. It's a free book that you can get right now through the month of May. He's got a new book coming out next month. We're going to talk to him about Lyme disease. He battled it him, himself. We'll talk about how he treated it and uh, just the, the struggle with Lyme disease that people have, whether it's uh, a debilitating uh, condition that they deal with or just getting it diagnosed. That's a struggle as well. We're also going to get a fishing report from Joe Henry. We'll talk about what water levels are like up at Lake of the Woods. We'll talk about some of the sturgeon fishing that's going on up there right now. And then Randon Olson, too, will join us from otter tail lakes country to talk about where he's finding walleyes and what he's using because uh shiners have been hard to come by so he has resorted to using something different he's going to tell us what that is in just a little bit that's dan amundsen right over there dan how you doing doing well who is this week's show brought to this us this week's show is brought to us by haybell heights campground and resort book a trip to devil's lake learn more at haybellheights.com otter tail lakes country find your inner otter this summer at ottertaillakescountry.com lake of the woods tourism lake of the woods is the walleye capital planet trip for this summer at lake of the woods mn.com camp grayling catch the grand slam lake trout pike grayling and walleye fish camp grayling in saskatchewan this summer on x hunt know where you stand with on x mid migration outfitters come hunt waterfall this fall out of heated 10-man pits and comfortable blinds learn more at midmigrationoutfitters.com and prairie sportsman the new season is wrapping up watch at low check your tv guide you're going to talk about this uh How's soon going, that one trips me. <laughs> so, you explain it. Yeah, Price your show. It's uh, it is on so many different PBS stations around the region. It airs, I think, around 400 times. Of course, you can watch all the episodes on our YouTube channel, and you can watch some stuff on Facebook too. But if you want to, or if you've got family members that don't do YouTube or whatever, you like watching it on TV. Uh, the, the Minnesota channel just carried our turkey hunting episode on Thursday. And then TPT Life, if you're in the Twin Cities, uh, they're going to carry our Prairie Stewards show on Saturday at 1230. That features Roger Strand and what he's done to manage deer on his property. Also, Brad and Christy Fernholz and what they've done to restore some native prairie on their property. It's a really great episode. Otherwise, uh, 
gosh, there's, like I said, just check your local listings. If you're up in Brainerd and Bemidji, Lakeland PBS, uh, they, we've got our brook, our brook trout uh, episode coming up Saturday at 2.30. If you're in Wyoming, you can watch it on the Wyoming PBS channel. They got uh, our turkey hunt on Sunday. If you're in Iowa, they've got our ice climbing episode on the Iowa PBS. If you're in Duluth, WDSE, you can watch the show Saturday at 4 o'clock and it's Life on Lack Parle. So uh, wherever you are right now, you can probably watch us on any of the PBS websites too any of the pbs stations in the country you can watch prairie sportsman at so find out more at prairiesportsman.org wow. our youtube channel it's kind of wild not quite as wild as the storm we encountered last thursday uh it was bad it was bad a lot of people are going to be cleaning up from that storm for a long time there were some tragedies that took place during the storm uh it was wild we had i i this storm hit so fast and I was cleaning a turkey that I had shot earlier and Dan had just moved two vehicles and two boats from right where that tree fell that you're looking at right there. He literally ran down to where he had parked his truck to grab his phone. Those trees were standing. He turned around to run back to the house. Those trees were on the ground. That's how fast it happened. Dan, what went through? We can't play the audio. Well, yeah, that's not radio safe, but hey, don't be as dumb as me. You don't need your phone that bad. I mean, it's nice to have communication, but don't run out in 100 mile an hour winds to grab your phone. That was stupid in retrospect. But uh, honestly, there wasn't much running through my head except get down there and get back as fast as you can because all you could hear was a train running in the distance or on top of you, which was not a train. Um, it was pretty wild, and I ran really fast with the wind. You, know, you get a 100 mile an hour <laughs> tailwind, you nice can tailwind. fly. It's kind of fun. But yeah, don't be that dumb, please. I'd never heard that that train sound before. And I've heard that people say that, oh, a tornado sounds like a train. I'd never heard it before. And I was sitting out there and I was cleaning my turkey. They had predict, I'll tell you, you know, give meteorologists a hard time and weather predictors a hard time all you want. But they had predicted uh, some very severe weather in this part of the state uh, a few days earlier. So they kind of nailed it and we knew it was coming. We could see it coming. But I was like, I'm plucking my turkey. And I'm like, Dan, you should probably move those boats uh, in case we get some hail, you know, move the vehicles, whatever, get stuff out. Maybe a tree might fall. We should move that stuff away from it. Not thinking that trees were actually going to fall. And I set up my camera and tripod to film that storm rolling in. And this is what I captured on that time lapse. Look at that thing come. And it got to about there and Dan had moved all the vehicles and he looks at me and goes, we have to go right now. Like it was on top of us. And we heard, like, I remember hearing the train. I'm like, wow, the, the train is running today. And I'm sitting there plucking this turkey wondering like, I wonder how safe a train would be in hundred mile an hour winds, you know? And, and then I realized it wasn't an actual train that I was hearing. It was that storm coming. And I grabbed the camera, ran inside, grabbed that bird, ran inside. Dan forgot his phone. So he turned around, ran down to get his phone. Those trees fell. And then we, uh, we waited the storm out in the basement while I cleaned turkeys. And we lost some shingles. My wheelbarrow got smashed, uh, but other than those two trees, those two trees were great. I'm, I'm going to miss those trees, but uh, we were pretty lucky that we didn't get any damage. Even that vehicle there just got some scratches from that one tree, but unfortunately, yeah. But uh, we got lucky. So uh, uh, it was a crazy storm, and that's we did not need more rain around here. I've got roads washed out all around me, water flowing o over the roads all around me. Uh, the Minnesota River is high. Rainy River is high. The Red River. So I was looking at Brad Durick on Facebook, and he posted some pictures from up by Oslo. Uh, Red River, he said, the Red River is six to eight miles wide up north of Grand Forks up there. 
It is crazy. They got a dike for like a mile along I-29 to keep the river from flowing over the road. I've watched that area around Oslo f- uh, flood a lot in Drayton and even Grand Forks and Fargo for that matter. They've had their issues with the Red River, of course. I don't know if I can remember it ever being six to eight miles wide up there that far. It's uh, it's a bad deal. So, Brad, thanks for... Uh, we kind of stole those pictures from Brad, so... Sorry. Thanks, Brad. Sorry. Um, on another note, though, the, the wet conditions and these warm temps have allowed us actually to go out and do some foraging. Uh, I've heard about morels uh, popping up, and uh, we actually went out and got our first batch of asparagus, which we I think we were a little late to the game on asparagus, but asparagus was, was coming up, and uh, ramps have been coming up, too. So if you're a wild food forager, there are some good edible wild foods out there making appearances. Finally, we've been waiting for it for a long time, and man, we, want, we were all excited about fishing opener last Last weekend, Dan, and uh, well, you did go. I didn't. You yeah. did fish up at Leech. Uh, it was a good opener for you. Yeah, I, I'll take it. You know, we had fish. We we kept enough for a meal and threw some back. So that was great. Yeah, I got I to eat some fresh fish that you caught. Thank You're you welcome. very much, or that you brought mm-hmm. back, which was good. You're used to that. I didn't. I didn't fish. I mean, a. Uh, we didn't have power during the opener, so we were doing some storm cleanup. And then I had a film film job with uh, Art Diaz, actually. I got Art came to town and got to hang out with Art all weekend. Thank you very much for coming to town. It was uh, very cool. Got to learn more about Alclair Outdoors, which is uh, some custom hearing protection, which hearing protection is very important. And I'm sure you'll hear us talk about it much more because uh, Art and then Mark Musselman, uh, the CEO at Alclair Outdoors, will be on the show coming up in the future to tell us more about how you can protect your hearing when you're out there hunting. But I'm excited to finally do some fishing and get on the water. And in just a couple of weeks, Dan, we're going to be heading north of the border up to Canada. I'm so excited. I can't wait. This will be your first experience. That's how excited we are. <laughs> I know. I know you're jacked to get up there. And for all of you making your plans for Canada, we'll talk more about crossing the border uh, with Joe Henry coming up later in the show and what the requirements are. But uh, you have to still at this point, and it seemed like every month they change things a little bit, but at this point, you still need your vaccination shot and you need to, you don't have to have a pre-entry COVID test, but you have to have the shot, you have to be able to prove it, and you have to upload it to the Arrive Can app. And what the Arrive Can app does is basically stays in touch with you while you're in Canada. Uh, I know it was so that if you had COVID and you were spreading it around, they could track you with it. Um, but they have a new version of the Arrive can app so if you went to canada or if you've downloaded it and you are about to go to canada again you're going to need to re-download a new version of the arrive can app uh they just uh they just released one here a couple of days ago this week so you can find out more just google uh canadian government and border crossing you'll get all the info uh right there all right ticks are big right now if you've been turkey hunting if you got dogs outside it's important to be preventative when it comes to ticks and to know what to do if you are bitten to learn more about it we've got a doctor that uh, knows a lot about Lyme from personal experience he's the author of unlocking Lyme it's dr bill rawls and he'll join us next on the show 
Northern Minnesota's Walleye Factory is a year-round world-class fishing destination. The perfect getaway this summer is just a short drive to Lake of the Woods. Fish Big Traverse Bay, the Rainy River, or visit the unique Northwest Angle. To catch big fish, you have to go where the big fish are. Plan your trip to Lake of the Woods at lakeofthewoodsmn.com. That's lakeofthewoodsmn.com. All right, well, May is Lyme Awareness Month and Lyme disease and avoiding ticks and dealing with ticks has been a, a, a topic of this show many times because we feel it's a pretty important issue. I'm freaked out about Lyme disease. Uh, I also went south on a recent trip where I encountered a Lone Star tick, so I'm a little freaked out about being allergic to red meat. And it's such a big topic, but it's so hard to get a lot of information about it and how to you know how to diagnose it how to treat it uh what the symptoms are because it's it can be so different for different people and it's been hard to get a doctor on this show to talk about it as well too so we've had a lot of people on that have talked about dealing with lyme lyme disease and the symptoms uh we've had people that have friends we have had people that have dogs our families had dogs that have dealt with it it's uh it's an important topic and finally we've got a doctor on the show i'm really excited about this dr bill rawls uh he's from north carolina and he joins us here on the show right now uh doctor thanks for coming on the show yeah my pleasure absolutely why right off the top why is it so hard for a guy like me that has lyme disease as a topic so often why has it been so hard for me to find a doctor to come on the show because doctors really don't understand what it is and they don't have anything to treat it so when you don't have when you have something that you can't really treat you just as soon ignore it not talk about it not hear about it so i'm in the know just because i struggled with it for a number of years ultimately overcame it and have spent the past decade or more of my life really understanding what it is and how we overcome how we deal with this thing um and my conclusions are quite a bit different than the mainstream so you were a, a, a medical doctor for a number of years were hmm? were you uh, you know, how aware of Lyme disease were you? Was it on your radar at all? Or once, and when, when did you realize that you'd gotten Lyme disease? Um, you know, I was aware of it from the beginning, but I can't say that I understood it any more than anybody else did. It's, uh, but, you know, I probably picked up the microbes that are defined as being associated with Lyme disease when I was a kid. I mean, I spent my whole life in the woods when I was a child, you know, climbing uh, trees, going through creeks later, hunting, fishing. I mean, truly, I was in the woods a high percentage of my life and ticks were a fact of life. You know, you get bitten a lot. So, but that's the deal. I didn't get sick until I had been doing obstetrics call, which was really extremely demanding every second or third night and just running a really, really high stress lifestyle for years. And finally, in my late 40s, I crashed and first identified with fibromyalgia, chronic, uh, chronic fatigue syndrome, because nobody could really figure out what was going on. And it was much later that I defined it as, as resulting from these microbes that we define as Lyme disease. 
since then, my definition of what Lyme disease has really warped into something completely different. But um, it was all that stress for years and I crashed. So you basically lived with it for a long time. And then when, you're, when your immune system was maybe weakened, it finally took over. That's it. Hmm. No doubt about it. You know, it's uh, our, our immune system is really key, but the health of our cells of our body is really key, too. And the fact of the matter is we have microbes coming at us all the time. Microbes are trying to constantly cross through across our skin or through our GI tract or, you know, breathing them in. So we constantly have microbes that are entering our body. And this idea that we get an infection, we become symptomatic, and then we either take antibiotics or night, but the symptoms clear that the microbes are gone, turns out to be quite a misconception. That most of the things we're exposed to as we go through life, we end up keeping dormant in our tissues, and those things can reactivate later. And that includes the, the microbes that are with, associated with Lyme disease. So the deal is most people who get a tick bite that are carrying the, the, the microbes, the Borrelia microbes associated with Lyme disease, don't become acutely ill. If you're healthy, you can get bitten by ticks, pick up the microbes and carry them for a long time. In fact, 90% of the people that I've talked to that identify as having chronic Lyme disease don't remember a tick bite and don't remember becoming ill around the time of a tick bite. I feel like that's one of the hardest parts about it because it's not not that, like, just like you said, it's not that typical, oh, I'm sick, let's go to the doctor and fix it. It's something that right. may come so much, so much later in life. And you know, I've, I've, I've got some friends that their, their philosophy right now is avoid ticks at all costs, uh, wear the right clothing, uh, wear some, some sort of, you know, protective chemical, permethrin, whatever. Uh, but if they get bit and they don't notice it right away and it might go a day or so, go straight to the doctor and get doxycycline. Don't even hesitate. Don't, don't take any chances. Um, obviously, they're not doing that often it's you know it's one of those hey i'm not going to take a chance you know type of deal um but but it, they don't they feel like it's and i've done it i got bit last year by a deer tick and i didn't see it right away and it left a pretty good mark on my body and i was on yeah. a trip and i came home and i said well <clears throat> i don't want to mess around with this i went straight to the doctor got my two pills of doxycycline and uh and so far i've, I've had no ill effects from it right that's one way to deal with it. That's not how I deal with it, but no. that's one way to deal with it. <laughs> As a so, doctor, what do you what do you say about that sort of? I mean, it's almost like a, a an you know emergency treatment is, in a sense. Sure. Yeah. Well, first of all, there's not really any evidence to support that it does much of anything. And second, the idea that doxycycline eradicates the microbes from the body is also a misconception. Um, there are many documented cases of people receiving antibiotics and not clearing the microbe from their system. So it's really up to your immune system. It's a lot about your immune system, the strength of the cells of your body, and, and all of those are really, really important factors. So here's the deal. 
when you get bitten by a tick, the microbes flood into your bloodstream, right? So the, we don't often get sick because ticks have been biting humans since the beginning of time and Borrelia, the microbe that causes Lyme disease, it's not a new microbe, it's millions of years old. So humans have been getting bitten by, by ticks carrying the Borrelia microbe ever since there've been humans. I mean, it's just, it's not a new thing. So our immune system recognizes this microbe when it enters our system. When something causes severe acute illness, it means that the immune system doesn't have any defenses. So Ebola virus is devastating because humans have never been exposed to it. We have no built-in defenses and it hits the bloodstream, it ravages the whole body. Tick-borne microbes, Ticks have been biting us for a long time and we have some familiarity. So as soon as the microbes are hit, hit the bloodstream, the immune system is mopping them up. Uh, white blood cells gobble them up and, to try to get rid of the microbes. The microbe strategy, the, the bacteria strategy though, is getting to your tissues, all of your tissues, your brain, your heart, your joints, your, your muscles, every tissue in the body. And what is interesting about these microbes is they infect and live inside cells. So they all have the capacity to, to live inside cells, in fact, stay dormant in cells. So the microbe strategy is getting to cells in tissues of the body. The immune system strategy is to try to eliminate them. For the most part, the immune system is successful. And I generally don't have people uh, getting acute Lyme disease unless they have a big load of microbes. The ticks been embedded for a long time and they get bitten by a lot of ticks all at once, all at once, bigger microbe load. But even when you have a low load or take antibiotics, some microbes make it. Hmm. They get their destination, they get to your tissues. And when they do that, they bore into your cells. And so it's like a little peppering of your tissues. And if it's a small peppering and your immune system is healthy, they can be there and you can be healthy and not even know they're there for years. And that's okay with the microbe because all they wanna do is get a little food. Your cells are basically their food source and stay dormant in your tissues until another opportunity comes along to pass to another tick. And that is natural. That's the way it's supposed to be, right? So interestingly, in, uh, uh, back uh, in the 90s, uh, National Geographic uh, was on an expedition that they found a thawed out human uh, out of a glacier that was 5,300 years old in the Italian Alps. So this guy was crossing the Italian Alps in his mid-40s. Uh, somebody shot him in the back with an arrow. He had Borrelia in his system. Hmm. So this ticket, this, this microbe's been around a long, long time. Generally doesn't make people that sick unless you get stressed. And the thing about it is our modern lifestyles are really stressing us a lot. <laughs> yeah, so are. we're seeing a lot more Lyme disease. And yeah, I mean, something that's been, been around for that long, yet I feel like Lyme disease hasn't been around. It's probably been around, but I feel like it's just starting to get a lot of headlines 
now? Yep. I mean, what is it just been misdiagnosed? Is it this are the, the symptoms mimicking so many other uh, illnesses that doctors have been, been misdiagnosing it? Right. Um, quite frankly, before it was recognized as an illness and for a lot of things, and this is still true, there are a lot of illnesses that aren't diagnosed as microbial that we really don't know the origins of the illness. And so, you know, but it has been recognized, the, the classic bullseye rash, the EM rash, doctors have been talking about that for hundreds of years. So it wasn't defined as a thing until the Lyme, Connecticut incidences when they were a cluster. But here's some interesting tidbits about that. So this microbe is called Borrelia burgdorferi. It was named after a guy named uh, Burgdorfer, who was a microbiologist. Uh, he was uh, from Switzerland, I believe, but he was working in the United States, and he was the one that received the specimens. He was a specialist in rickettsia, which is one of the microbes that causes Rocky Mountain spotted fever. Um, and he was, but he was looking for the cause of these people's illnesses. And what he found was there were a lot of microbes there in every specimen. And there were almost as many rickettsias uh, of this, of a species of rickettsia that lives in New England as Borrelia. So he did make the conclusion through his research that the Borrelia was the cause of the EM rash or the bullseye rash. But in his later writings, he was speculating that possibly the acuteness of the illness was probably associated with a co-infection with rickettsia. So even Lyme disease isn't straightforward and anybody with chronic Lyme disease will tell you there are a lot of co-infections. There's Bartonella and Babesia and Anaplasma and Ehrlichia and Rickettsia and dozens of species of each one of those. So what it turns out is ticks carry a lot of different microbes that are infectious. So it's not just Lyme disease. Um, they found that one tick species can carry 237 different families oh, man. of bacteria. So all of those aren't pathogens, but a lot of them are. So what it turns out is there's a lot of stuff we don't know about still. And when you look at the possibilities of microbes that can cause low-grade chronic illness, we're just scratching the surface. Man, so I've seen connections. You, you, you bring up fibromyalgia. I've seen connections between Lyme and fibromyalgia. I've, I've seen, I, th I swear I saw at one point somebody tried to draw a link to, to ALS, maybe. Um, yep. Parkinson's, all of them. So do you think that those are uh, would like a like a tick may have caused some of that for some of those people, or what's the link? Yeah. The link is I think there's a link between these low grade chronic infections with intracellular microbes and every chronic illness out there. Hmm. Every single one. Yeah, they've even found Borrelia in breast cancer cells and other microbes in various kinds of cancer cells. There's a close microbe cancer connection. And yes, they found Borrelia in quite a number of different situations. So let me tell you about a case study out of Columbia University um, talking about the antibiotic thing. 
So there was a woman that was diagnosed with Lyme disease. She had an acute tick bite. She had an EM rash. She did have symptoms. She was treated with doxycycline at about age 54. Treated with doxycycline, her symptoms gradually resolved with treatment of the doxycycline. Two or three years later, she developed neurological symptoms. So they treated her with six weeks of IV antibiotics. She tested positive again for the Borrelia microbe, and all they were looking for was Borrelia. So they, she tested positive for the microbe in her system again. They treated her with six weeks of IV antibiotics and six months of doxycycline. Wow. Uh, they stopped the antibiotics because her symptoms were worsening instead of improving. Her, grass, her situation gradually deteriorated. In her early 60s, she died of what they defined as Lewy body dementia. Um, but she agreed before death to do an autopsy. So they did an autopsy of their brain, her brain and they found live Borrelia microbes in her brain. Really? So that's what antibiotics do. Or, or don't do. I mean, so what do you recommend if somebody does go in and has the, the bullseye or has been bitten? Is there a, a better option than doxycycline or is it, it we're going to try this, but it may not work? Um, how I recovered from my illness, and by the way, you know, yeah, as far as when you're looking at fibromyalgia and these different illnesses, basically the only difference that I see between a person labeled as fibromyalgia and a person labeled as chronic Lyme disease is the person with chronic Lyme disease is figured out to get somehow to get a positive test for the microbe. Hmm. That's about the Interesting. I wondered about that. Yeah, so I think there's a lot of crossover, and I think these these microbe chronic illness connections run deep. Um, I've actually uh, just written a book, a new book. I have a book called Unlocking Lyme that explains Lyme disease, but I wrote a new book connecting the microbes and chronic illness uh, that will be called uh, un, un, uh, uh, sorry, The Cellular Wellness Solution. Um, that will be out this June. So if anybody's interested in taking a little bit deeper dive, there's some really interesting research in there. So moving on to things that do work. Um, the problem with doxycycline is it doesn't get to uh, inside cells very well. So it's not killing these microbes when, after they're deeply embedded in tissues. But what it does do, even 10 days of doxycycline really disrupts the gut very, very badly. Mm -hmm. Six weeks of, of, of doxycycline or any other antibiotics will absolutely destroy the gut which inadvertently destroys your immune system, which isn't a good idea. So there is no evidence that long-term use of antibiotics is supported for the use for, for treating chronic Lyme disease. And I agree with that. Um, as far as an acute tick bite with uh, an EM rash or a symptomatic, then I think the 20 to 30 days of doxycycline is a, is a reasonable thing to do because it helps knock down the microbes while they're coursing through the bloodstream before they get embedded in tissues. Once they're embedded in tissues, and again, you're not going to prevent that completely, 
If you've been bitten by ticks, you've had tick-borne microbes of some type in your system every single time you've ever been bitten. That's how it is. So the doxycycline does help initially. I think the, the CDC recommendations are reasonable. There's not a lot of evidence that the 200 milligrams one shot thing does a whole lot. Eh, I don't think it does a lot of harm though, so I don't think it's unreasonable to do. Um, I don't stop there though. And what I used for my recovery was herbal therapy, hmm. a lot of herbal therapy. And what it turns out is herbs, plants, all have antimicrobial properties. And if you think about it, they have to. You know, plants have to defend their cells from uh, being invaded by viruses, bacteria, protozoa, just like we do. And so plants don't have a cellular immune system. They have a chemical defense system that's very robust. And it isn't to one microbe, it's to a huge spectrum of microbes. So all plants have antimicrobial properties, all herbs have antimicrobial properties, but depending on the plant's environment and the, and the amount of microbe stress in the environment, some plants have stronger antimicrobial properties than others. But it's not a single chemical substance like doxycycline or amoxicillin or penicillin or any of the antibiotics. It's hundreds of chemicals that hit various kinds of microbes in a variety of ways. So it's an entire defense system. And what's most interesting about the herbs, however, is they are selective. So the plant chemicals, these, the, these what we call phytochemicals are selective. It's a system. So they kill pathogens, but they don't kill normal flora, which means you can take these herbs for months or even years without destroying your normal flora and enhancing your cellular health and balancing this total microbiome in the body, which we're finding actually extends into our tissues and even into our brain. Yes, we have microbes, bacteria that live in our brain all the time. So that's the advantage of the herbs. So and you, I've been taking herbs continually now for about 15 years. Okay, so I was going to ask that question for somebody uh, like you or myself that spends a lot of time in the outdoors and encounters ticks frequently. Would you recommend just 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 taking cat's claw and Japanese knotweed on a regular basis? Yep. <laughs> I think it's a very reasonable thing to do. Okay. So um, I've been doing that and other herbs for many, many years. So you um, have, and, I, and I'm reading them off your website, rawlsmd.com, and that's R-A-W-L-S-M-D.com. You have uh, recommendations on here about what are the top herbs to get, and you would just take them as a preventative or as somebody that's that's had Lyme disease probably to help you uh, along the way as well. And then you even break down how to take them, like making your own, uh, making your own capsules. Yeah, uh, you know, it's pretty pretty easy to do. And again, you know, there are herbs that you wouldn't want to take long term. And that is one of the distinct the things that I distinguish in my new book that's coming out this June 
the cellular wellness solution, I talk about, you know, when just to take just average herbs for protecting your health and when to use those uh, herbs with stronger antimicrobial properties. But here's the deal. Let's look at Japanese knotweed. So this is an invasive weed. It's really common in North America now. Um, it comes from Asia and it is an exceptionally good source of resveratrol, which you might recognize is what we find in grapes. It's the, it, what comes in red wine that gives wine health benefits. So it's protective of the vascular system. It's a potent antioxidant that protects cells throughout the body. It has antimicrobial properties itself, but the Japanese knotweed has the spectrum of other chemicals too that have remarkable benefits. Benefits. So you look at the, the list of benefits of taking Japanese knotweed every day, and it's impressive. Do the same for cat's claw, andrographis, any of the other herbs that I've mentioned here. Now, there's some that you don't want to take every day, like echinacea, elderberry, because they overstimulate the immune system. They're great for a common cold. But these herbs are what we define as immune modulating. They have an effect on the immune system that's balancing, um, which really has some wonderful effects. Uh, we should mention, too, that your last book, uh, Unlocking Lyme, you're, you're doing a book giveaway with that right now? Yeah. So, so yeah, people. just uh, for, uh, we, we do this every year. It's just part of my way of uh, reaching the audience and helping people out. Um, so for Lyme Awareness Month, we give the book away just for shipping and handling. Oh, that's great. And that's available on your website, rawlsmd.com. And then for right. for finding these herbs, is that something a, a, a person can, they can order them online and get them, get them delivered some, somehow? <laughs> Yeah, they can order them online. Um, you know, I medical director in an herbal company that we have uh, uh, packages of herbs that you can do, packages that help people with uh, uh, Lyme disease. So, uh, there, but there are a lot of good sources of the herbs out there. Okay, so we can actually, we can get some of those off your website too? Uh, the the website for for the supplements is vitalplan.com but uh, it it has uh, just specific products okay vitalplan.com all right I want to talk about a couple of other illnesses and some of the other ticks out there because there's a number of of different types of ticks and on our recent trip, south we spent some time in missouri and we were armed with this new gear from sitka it's called the equinox guard collection and they have uh there's like a i don't know if they call it a gator or a sleeve inside your leg so you tuck it into your socks so if something does crawl up underneath your pant leg it can't get through uh the thread is woven tightly so the mosquitoes can't aren't supposed to be able to bite through it. And then it's got the insect, their insect shield baked into it, which is uh, permethrin. And we spent eight days of crawling through the woods, sitting against a tree, walking through tall grass, and did not have any ticks on us. And one of the guy's dogs was uh, running around a little bit during the day when we were, when we were hanging out, constantly had we were constantly pulling ticks off the dock, off the dog. So we knew that they were there. And then there was one instance where I had taken off the clothing that was treated and was just wearing regular clothing. And I was taking some pictures along the shoreline of this lake. 
And uh, all of a sudden, one of my buddies pointed and said, hey, you got a tick crawling on the back of your leg there and pulled it off. And sure enough, it was one of these Lone Star ticks. And that was my first we don't have them here in Minnesota. So that was my first encounter. And while Lyme disease scares me, I have a, I have a severe uh, case of uh, 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 being nervous about c- catching a, a red meat allergy. So yeah. I was a little nervous about that tick uh, right there. So that, that, how common is that with that tick right there? And is there more illnesses that are more common with it? Well, there are other illnesses, um, you know, there, it does carry rickettsia species and other things. And, and quite frankly, again, we are just discovering all the different microbes that are carried by different kinds of ticks. Um, Lone Star tick is associated with starry, which is um, the southern version of Lyme disease. So um, they haven't traced out the, the, the bacteria yet, but they think it's just a different species of Borrelia. By the way, you know, when I was writing Unlocking Lyme about four years ago, they had found 12 different species of Borrelia uh, that can cause Lyme disease. Now that list is up to 21. Um, So like I said, there's just a lot of things out there that we don't know about. So every tick, every tick carries bacteria that can infect you. So all ticks are suspicious. So I think these the the new kinds of clothing make a lot of sense. Um, I don't use strong chemicals like DEET, but because they're pretty toxic, I've found that the essential oils, um, uh, essential oil sprays of those, there are various kinds, uh, work just as well as DEET. Um, and quite frankly, you know, I, I'm, I'm not a hunter anymore. I do fishing, and I, but I do a lot of hiking. I'm, I'm out in the woods a lot. Now, I don't immerse myself quite as much as a hunter would, but I tell you, since I've been taking the herbs, I just don't seem to be as palatable to ticks and mosquitoes as I used to be. Mm. It's, uh, it's interesting, and it's thought that there are, these things are balancing or affecting the flora on your skin. So the bacteria, the, the, the ticks and mosquitoes hone in on heat, but they also hone in on sense that the bacteria on your skin are producing too. So it's, um, yeah, so, so all of those things have uh, yeah, play into the picture. So anything you can do to decrease your, your bites, not just from ticks either, because uh, chiggers and virtually any insect that bites, I mean, think about it, you know, bacteria want to pass from host to host. What better way of doing that is than through uh, an insect vector that's biting through skin and depositing them right into the bloodstream. So whether it's ticks, chiggers, mosquitoes, fleas, lice, anything that bites is going to be transmitting bacteria. So arming yourself, keeping your system strong, keeping your, staying healthy, keeping your immune system healthy, um, and you know, giving doing that extra protection with herbs, so is really important. I, I, just a few minutes left here uh, with Dr. Walls. Um, you brought up chiggers. I was cutting the grass a couple of years ago, and 
gnats or chiggers, uh, small little noceums, whatever they whatever they were. I had a short sleeve shirt on. It was pretty warm, and they were just ferocious and they were biting me all over the place and uh, a couple hours later I was in the bathroom washing my hands and I looked in my my bicep and I had I had the red lines uh, I, I, I people call it blood poisoning or whatever I, I don't think that's technically what it is but I had those red lines from those from those bites and, uh, and I, <laughs> it kind of scared me just a little bit I think I threw Neosporin on it and that seemed to clear it up but uh, what do you could suppose? Could be a allergic reaction, but it also could be bacteria of some kind entering your system. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. So, and by the way, too, these these herbs that I've been talking about, uh, Japanese knotweed, Chinese skullcap, uh, cat's claw, these various different herbs. Interestingly, last year, um, some scientists at Johns Hopkins University uh, looked at these things to see if they actually kill Borrelia. Um, you know, they had heard about people using them for Lyme disease. And so they did a test tube study where they took uh, the various forms of, of uh, Borrelia, the modal forms, the cyst forms, and, you know, dumped them in a test tube with, with uh, tinctures of the various uh, herbs and compared that to doxycycline and another antibiotic uh, type of cephalosporine. Interestingly, they found that the herbs killed the bacteria better than the antibiotics. Really? We do have a lot of evidence that these things truly do actually kill the bacteria, and they do it as well as the antibiotics do. I mean, anytime you can put something natural in your body versus, uh, you know, some sort of chemical, I'm all, I'm all for that. Uh, just... Makes a lot of sense, yeah. <laughs> you know, when you break it down like that, it makes the most sense, <laughs> really. Yeah. But, um, boy, I, I wanted to ask you about Heartland virus as well. Speaking of that Lone Star tick, is this something new? I think it's been around a while. Again, I think it's one of those things that we're just starting to recognize. It's not very common. And so the less common something is the, you know, the, 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 the the less resistance we're going to have it just means that it's, it infects less often so speculating that we were talking about heartland virus the other day and it's like well why are some microbes more common than others and it could be just competition between the microbes right so it could be that some microbes are just better at getting out ahead and getting into the bloodstream than other microbes. They might be present in a tick, but they might not make it to the person's bloodstream before these other microbes. So that's speculation, but you know, that's a possibility. Um, but Heartland virus, you know, it, it's all about the types of cells that the bacteria or virus infects in the body, and that is the issue, all right? So Borrelia tends to go for tissue uh, cells in the body that have collagen or produce collagen, nerve cells, muscle cells, um, whereas another bacteria called Bartonella infects blood vessels. And that's a deal with rickettsia also. So rickettsia, Rocky Mountain spotted fever is really bad because this it's, it's not really any more aggressive than Borrelia, but it infects the cells that line small blood vessels. 
So if you get a load of that and that's happening all at once, it can block off blood vessels. And that's where that spotted rash comes from blocking blood vessels, Mm -hmm. but it can cause you to lose fingers and that sort of thing. But interesting, what what I'm finding is over the years of talking to people as we're doing more testing, what I'm finding is a lot of people with chronic symptoms are carrying the rickettsia microbe that causes Rocky Mountain spotted fever, but they never became acutely ill with Rocky Mountain spotted fever. And the same is true with heartland. So it's the type of cells. So it's affecting immune cells and but it's affecting a specific type of immune cell that that uh, uh, produce platelets, which are which is what we need for blood clotting. So it if if it is able to infect these cells, it can drop your platelet level and cause you to bleed out. But interestingly, most people who get this virus don't become acutely ill. So we just are learning how to test with these things. So through my career as a physician, I can tell you a lot of people showed up in the emergency room with odd kinds of things that nobody knew what was. And now we're starting to know a little bit more about maybe what's causing them. So it's not as much that these things are new, it's that they're newly discovered. We're just starting to find the causes of them. Um, So that, you know, we haven't been testing for these microbes very long, so we really have no idea whether the incidence of Lyme disease is increasing or not. So how often would you recommend somebody that can't get, you know, they're having some weird symptoms, doctor can't figure it out, would you recommend them going, trying to find a different doctor or trying to find some sort of Lyme literate doctor? That's a kind of hit or miss thing. What I'm finding is that some of the Lyme literate doctors know Lyme disease and know what they're talking about, but an awful lot of them don't. And their knee-jerk reaction is to treat people for months and months and months on end with IV antibiotics, which can be highly destructive. I've seen many people's lives just ruined by that practice. So it's, um, you know, the first thing I would do is get a copy of my book. You'll really understand what Lyme disease is better if you read the book, Um, the book Unlocking Lyme. I spent a lot of time, I took two years out of my life just to educate people to what this thing actually was and to help them understand what was going on. And quite frankly, um, I think a better route to go is herbal therapy for most people. I mean, that's your foundation. And most people with herbs will respond and actually start getting well and start reducing the symptoms. But, um, you know, it, 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 I wouldn't suggest that anybody just ignore or abandon the medical system. I, need, I, I think you need access to the healthcare system. I think you need a doctor on your side for things that might show not be associated with Lyme disease. You know, I would hate for someone to think they had Lyme disease and actually have some kind of hidden cancer or other kinds of illness that needs to be treated in another way, So, but, but they ignored it. So I think you have to see the doctor, but 
If you have a lot of weird chronic symptoms that is being defined as chronic Lyme or fibromyalgia or that sort of thing, they're probably not going to be be able to help you. But go for the evaluation. I mean, it's like when I was going through my thing, um, I had a lot of heart involvement. Uh, My heart was skipping beats every second to third beat, and I was having constant chest pain. And I was evaluated by a cardiologist, ended up with a cardiac cath. They found that my coronary vessels were clear, and they really didn't know what to do with me. And it was about that time that I found the Lyme microbes and started the herbs. Um, So I was able to help myself and gradually all of those symptoms resolved, but it was important. I mean, having had the cardiac cath and having that evaluation, I knew it wasn't a primary heart condition that needed to be addressed by, by the conventional medical system. So go for the evaluation. Um, you know, uh, uh, try to turn every stone. And, you know, when they've turned all the stones that they can turn, start going in a different direction and, and uh, th- think about these alternative options that really have a lot of value. The last question I want to ask you is, uh, maybe this is outside your wheelhouse, but dogs are affected by Lyme disease quite frequently, particularly hunting dogs. And there's a Lyme vaccine out there. I've heard people argue that it's not really effective. I give it to my dogs anyway, trying to give them every protection that I can. Can Is there some sort of, um, you know, herbal uh, plan, herbal uh, uh, type supplement that you could give to dogs to help them out? Yeah, I think you can use some of these same herbs. Um, I gave my dog uh, herbal preparations for years. Um, and, and uh, you know, our last dog started having arthritis symptoms when he was around seven, and I started giving him turmeric and cat's claw and some of these things. And um, he lived to be 14, and, you know, his arthritis cleared up for a long time. So our other one is seven now, and we've started giving him herbs. Um, so it, uh, I think it is a reasonable thing to do. Uh, a lot of veterinarians, even more than conventional doctors, are using herbals. And there are a lot of herbal products for pets uh, that are really, really good. As far as the vaccine, you know, we may be doing some benefit there. I'm not opposed to vaccines, but it's one microbe probably among, among hundreds that ticks carry. So vaccinating for every potential thing that ticks are carrying, I think is just, it's a losing battle. Um, you know, you, you end up uh, running into more risk factors from all the different vaccines than you would from the, the actual bacteria. Well, we gotta ha- we're going to live with ticks, whether we like it or not, and uh, everything we can do to prevent it. Um, you have a, a load of information on the website, RawlsMD.com, R-A-W-L-S-M-D.com, and that's where you can get the free book. Uh, that free book giveaway is through the month of May? Yep. Unlocking Lyme. And then the new book, Cellular Wellness Solution, that'll be coming out next month? Yep. Yep. About mid-June. Yeah, I think our formal date is the 21st. Um, that's going to, there's a lot of interesting stuff in there that, that truly it ought to interest anybody. I mean, this is, this is your guide to staying well 
for your entire life. Um, hey, you know, I thought my life was done when I was in my early 50s. I thought, you know, I'd been physically active my whole life and I thought that was it. I'm going to be compromised. I'm 65 now and I'm doing anything I want. I'm kite surfing, hiking, whatever I want, um, which is really pretty cool. And and truly, I think it's the herbs that, that put me there. But I've immersed myself in understanding why chronic illness occurs in a different way. And the conclusions that I've come up upon are very, very different than the mainstream community. And when you look at uh, what herbs offer, man, are we overlooking this extraordinary resource that can reduce our risk of every chronic illness, cancer, everything, um, with virtually no side effects and feel good, help you feel better, give you more energy. It's really remarkable. Well, I sure hope so. That seems like a, a way better way to go than than yeah. years of, of pills and treatments and doctor no visits. Doubt. So. All right, uh, Dr. Rawls, uh, I really appreciate the time. I think this is an important topic Pleasure. that needs to be discussed more often, particularly for people that spend a lot of time in the outdoor world like we do. Uh, RawlsMD.com, once again, is a website. Uh, doctor, thanks for being with us today. Brett, thank you for the opportunity. I do appreciate it. Devil's Lake is legendary, and this summer has been legendary for walleyes. Don't miss out. Call Haybell Heights Campground and Resort today to book one of their modern cabins on East Bay. The cabins are furnished with a full bathroom, kitchen, and all the amenities like high-speed internet and are clean following CDC guidelines. Staying at Haybell Heights gives you full access to a private boat launch, fish cleaning station, and beach area. Learn more at haybellheights.com. That's haybellheights.com. Plan your trip to legendary Devil's Lake today. All right, now we're going to head up to Ottertail Lakes Country and check in with Randon Olson from Lockjaw Guide Service to find out how he's been catching fish lately. Randon, how's it going? It's pretty good, guys. Thanks for having me. How are the water conditions up there? Uh, I know you guys have a ton of lakes. you got some rivers, too, of course. We've got water everywhere uh, down here. I know up north they got water going on. Are you running in, running into any flooding problems at all? There's, there's a small handful of lakes that are kind of flooded over. Uh, the rivers are high, but the lakes are kind of back to normal, which is really nice after last summer, you know, fighting that low water all year. Um, I, overall, I think we're, we're sitting pretty well up here. We're pretty lucky in this area anyway. With areas that you've gone to where you fished in high water, have you been finding fish in their usual places or have they been finding some new nooks and crannies to sneak into? There's a few little nooks and crannies now with, the, with some of the higher water lakes. Um, riprap has kind of kicked on a whole new bite in some of these small lakes. Some of that beach riprap that's now in like a foot, two foot of water. Uh, there's fish up there and they're using that riprap. So, so that's something to kind of keep your eye out for, you know, some of that shoreline stuff that's normally out of the water is now in the water. It, it's worth taking a pass through and seeing what you come up with. You're a guy that's talked about shallow water walleyes quite a bit here on the show. Are you finding them shallow or where are you finding fish right now? They're, they're deep for me. I've been finding them kind of seven to 10 foot, which is pretty normal this time of year. Um, I think this week we're starting to see, so yesterday we started to find fish up at about two or three foot. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do is that the lakes are just now warming up enough where that shiner run is starting to really kick in. We're seeing low 50s. 
um, and that pushes those shiners up real shallow, and a lot of times those, those fish will follow them. Uh, most guys sit out in that 7 to 10 foot because there's a lot of fish out there, but a lot of times your better fish are up right next to those shiner pods, chasing them around and eating them all day. How easy is it to come by some of those shiners for bait? It's tough. It's, it's really tough this year. Uh, it's just a late spring. Bait dealers are having a hard time getting them. Um, so what we've done a lot of, I, I, I end up staining my own, and I haven't had a problem finding golden shiners. Spot tails have been tough. Um, golden shiners will work just as good. So will fatheads, so will a lot of stuff. But spot tails kind of get the recognition this time of year. And if you're, you're hung up on spot tails and you can't find them, plastics has been working really good too. Um, I got a few options here that we've kind of been running. Um, quarter ounce jig head and a nice big anything that'll kind of imitate that shiner look so silvers whites um something like that and then the reverse side of that that we've been throwing is is completely nothing like a shiner so greens kind of your perch color patterns um oranges things like that it's when they're so keyed in on something sometimes ripping something completely different through there can really trip that trigger are you are you mainly like pitching those casting them are you trolling at all or dragging them or what are you doing a lot of times this time of year, we're, we're, we're trolling them. We're kind of rip-jigging them. Um, and I think people hear the term rip-jigging, and I don't know if they quite understand the whole concept of it. Basically, you're, you're back-trolling at about a mile an hour with a 16th, 8th-ounce jig on, um, and you're not exactly ripping it like you rip into a hook set. You're more or less popping that thing along, but you never really let that bait settle either. So... It's a good way to cover a lot of water and find those schools of fish. You can always go back and pitch at them, but jig trolling is a really good way. Rip jigging is a really good way just to find some fish this time of year um, and just eliminate dead water. Are you using your electronics to try to find some fish or are you locating some structure and trying to find some patterns? You're, so shallow water's uh, a different one. Um, side imaging and like the live imaging sonars now, um, that's a great tool for finding fish up in shallow water. Your 2D sonar is not much useful up there. Mine is showing you kind of the weeds or bottom content. Um, but side imaging can play a big part, big factor this time of year. Um, basically, you can crawl around, and when you get to learn your side imaging, you can tell if they're walleyes or if they're perch or if they're crappies. Um, you know, last week we, before opener, we were chasing crappies, and that's all we did is we drive around till we've seen a school inside imaging stop catch six seven eight of them school of move we drive till we find them again um so so paying attention and kind of learning your electronics um that'll pay off big time especially in shallow water was that you did you post a picture of of crappies on your side imaging recently i did yeah yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll see if dan can track that one down but that that other picture that he just showed there that was uh was that midnight on the opener that was about two in the morning. Two, okay, but you went out yep. there at midnight, though. Yeah, we were out there at midnight running around, and boy, we, we tried a, a trophy lake. Uh, we do it every year for opener. We barely ever get anything to eat out of there. It's always big fish, but they were actually still spawning on that lake. Um, you oh, could see them right on really? the side of the boat. Yeah, they were grouped up. It'd be one female and three or four males rolling around with her. Um, you drop a jig in a minnow in front of their face and they wouldn't touch it. So we ended up switching lakes and did pretty well then. I'm just trying to find that. Is that picture on your, uh, on Lockjaw guide service? Yep. Lockjaw. Okay. I'll look for that. Interesting. So they were still spawning there. Really? And, and that lake is known to be kind of one of the last ones. Um, 
Um, we were only about four or five days after the ice out when we got there. So uh, we knew it was going to be close, but it's always worth a shot because there's some real big fish in there. I know. I think I saw that Eric Osberg said that he had gone out at midnight. Oh, there's the picture right there from six days ago. Yeah, there it is. Um, yeah, uh, Dan's working on it. I, I've always asked, I always ask Dan to do way too much over there. Uh, anyway, yeah. I can't tell. Is that yeah. on? Or are you just are you showing that now, Dan? <laughs> I can't tell what I'm looking at. That's a pretty cool picture. That's a great picture to demonstrate because you're looking at shadows essentially there, right? Right, right. Yeah. And uh, and I think the people, you know, a lot of times people waypoint those shadows, but those fish are a lot higher than what those shadows are showing. So those fish are closer to the boat than what it looks like. I guess that would but make it, sense because that shadow would be it'd be just like standing with the sun on one side of you. So how far away I, do you think those? Where do you think those fish are actually then in that picture? So those fish, they were about twenty to thirty foot off to the side of the boat, off the left side. And what do we see in the shadows at? The shadows are closer to like twenty-five, thirty to fifty foot. Okay, so it's that it's that big of a difference. That's interesting. And we were in about 14 foot of water when I took that picture. So well, those fish were kind of up into the water column quite high. So that makes a big difference. I finally made the switch to get some electronic society imaging this year. I haven't, I haven't really had a need for it, but I just, I couldn't be, le I couldn't be left in the stone age any longer. So I had to, I had to move up and, and get something. So I'm excited to, uh, to try out some of the, these new, these new improvements in technology out there. So I'm excited to, to dig into stuff like that right there, actually. Yeah. It's, uh, it, it's almost hard to get not caught up in it. You know, when you, when you're going along a shoreline and you're seeing individual fish, it's hard to not stop and try to catch that one fish at a time. You get you know, always looking for that super highway that mega school of fish and sometimes you can get caught up in, in watching the screen too much but it's definitely a big plus it, it big help well it's really amazing now what you can do with your with your electronics and i mean i guess i just i've caught so many fish that it's gotten boring for me so i need something new what yeah <laughs> I need something new to keep me occupied in the boat, and that's learning new electronics. No, you know, it's funny you talk to some of the old timers. They're like, I don't need any of that fancy equipment. And uh, obviously, depending on what you're doing, you can go out and find fish without it. But, man, it's so it's it's so helpful to be able to see under the water and see what fish are doing, see where fish are, and to give you confidence in a spot. You know, if, you, if you're there for a while and the fish you're not catching, but if you know that they're there, it helps you try to figure out what it's going to take to get them to bite. Yeah, and, and uh, I, I use it a lot in tournament fishing, um, pre-fishing for tournaments especially. Um, scan an area, you can get a judge for about how many fish are there. Um, Size-wise, it's a little harder, but you can, you can get a judge if the fish are there or not, and you don't really have to pester them by catching them. You can kind of leave them alone and just know they're there um, and keep your, keep your tabs on them for a couple days before that tournament. So it comes in handy a lot. Well, Randon, uh, what's on tap for you? You're going to be chasing walleyes, panfish, a little bit of both here in the future? A little bit of both, uh, mostly focusing on walleyes. So that bite's going to stay really good through June at least, I think, with this water temp. So we've got a long time yet to good walleye fishing, and it's going to be a fun time. Uh, do you got some openings this summer if people want to jump in the boat with you? Yeah, we got some openings coming up in July. Um, we're pretty booked up now through May through June, but July and August we got some openings. Um, now all you got to do is just give me a call at 218-640-0158.
All right, Randon Olson, Lockjaw Guide Service up there in Ottertail Lakes Country. Good luck. Thanks for the time today on the show. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me. Did you know there are more than 1,000 lakes in Ottertail County? Yep, and I'm going to fish as many as I can. I'm an outdoorsy otter. Nothing beats a full day of fishing for me. The lakes of Ottertail County give me plenty of options to lower my boat and snag the perfect catch. Not an outdoorsy otter? No problem. Ottertail County has something for everyone. You just need to find your inner otter. To find your inner otter, go to ottertaillakescountry.com. 852 million acres of public land. 147 million private properties. All in the palm of your hand. The number one hunting GPS app just got better. With hundreds of custom map layers, 3D and topographic maps, you can easily scout on the road or at home before you go. And now you can get important weather details, CWD detection, and even know what crops have been planted where. Get the most trusted hunting GPS app ever made. Onyx. Know where you stand with Onyx. Well, due to a number of factors, including not having power around here and uh, some bad weather conditions, Dan and I didn't fish for the opener yet. Uh, Didn't fish on the opening weekend and really, as of of this time, haven't fished uh, at all yet since the season's been open. But I know a lot of guys have been out there. They've been uh, catching walleyes, and we're going to find out how things went up at Lake of the Woods right now with Joe Henry from Lake of the Woods Tourism. Joe, how you doing? Hey, Brad, I'm doing well. How are the water conditions? Because water is out of control where we're at here. There's water everywhere. Roads around the house here are washed out. You know, there's only really only one road into my place right now. Uh, I think it's starting to come back down a little bit, but we got quite a bit of rain again here this week. And I know the, the Rainy River have been pretty high, has been pretty high, and the Red River is really high right now. How is it up at Lake of the Woods? Just like Lake Wobegon. Everything's great. <laughs> Everybody's getting along, you know. Good. No, no, no. You know, I'll tell you, in, in much like uh, uh, other parts of the region, you know, we do have a lot of water in our system. So the the, the gates uh, coming out of the rainy, uh, out of Rainy Lake that flow into Rainy River are wide open. The gates up at Kenora, Ontario, where, where Lake of the Woods goes out, they're wide open. We do have... Uh, some of the resort docks have, are underwater, so of course resorts have taken measures to put, you know, whether it's pallets or other sections of docks, so people can get to the charter boats and things. Um, there are a, a few accesses um, to our east of Bedette, the way over there, that are getting a little bit flooded. Some are usable, some aren't, but uh, like Wheeler's Point is golden, that's great, and, and other, you know, resort accesses. So, you know what, there, there's some, some things that aren't perfect, but people are getting out fishing, and boy, thankfully, fishing's really good. Yeah, my goodness. I saw, I've, I've got a few friends that were up there this week and I got some messages from them showing them just hammering walleyes up there, Joe. It, it's been good. It was, you know, we, we, we thought it would be a good opener. It's normally a good opener. And, you know, with a late spring like we had, there were a lot of walleyes in the river still. Now, the challenge was that current is ripping so hard that it was hard to go in a, a main river hole and fish them because literally I talked to one guy that had a one ounce jig and he said you just get swept downstream. And what, what they ended up doing, it was real interesting. Um, what they ended up doing is they ended up finding some slack water closer to shore and they could go in there with, you know, like a half ounce jig and do just fine in that slack water. But you know, one thing about that, that rushing water is that it can be a pro and a con. Now it, it can take a lot of the spots that you would normally fish out of commission in some ways. But the other thing is when you do find walleyes, a lot of times they'll be congregated because they're, they're all kind of focused in the same areas. So they, once they found the walleyes, they whacked the heck out of them. They just had to find them at first. Um, I will tell you too that 
you know, the reports on the lake. So a lot of people go out in front of the lighthouse gap out in front of Pine Island and fish that area. And, you know, there, there are a lot of fish caught out there. There are a ton of fish out there. The water was a little dirty because of the rainy river pushing so much water and that's been running at a flood stage. So it's pushing some dirty water through as well. So that, that made fishing a little bit tougher. Um, still cut fish, but it was a little bit tougher. So for instance, I spoke to some guys who said that they slid over to the west a little bit and although they didn't find as many walleyes because the water was a little clear, a much larger percentage of the walleyes they saw in their electronics bit. Um, they, they were they were spread out. I mean, some people fish four mile bay in six feet of water. Uh, other people are fishing out on the lake in 20 feet of water. So from about six to 20 feet was kind of the go-to. Jigging a minnow, bright jigs because of some of the stain in the water. Um, and it and a lot of big fish caught. I mean, the eaters were caught, the smalls were caught, but then the slots and some trophies. And there were a lot of big fish caught for the opener. You know, I hear about shiners of course up at lake of the woods and the rainy river uh quite frequently and i've heard more about using plastics in the river in recent years for whatever reason and maybe it's maybe i'm just blocking it out for whatever reason or just haven't heard it but i don't hear about guys using plastics as much on the lake as i have in the river but i'd assume plastics would work out there as well you know, I think they will. And, you know, I can tell you, like, for instance, um, up at the Northwest Angle, a lot of our folks that go fishing up there, some will fish the Minnesota side and some will slide over into Ontario waters of Lake of the Woods and fish that area. So when that when that happens, it's one of those things where um, uh, they have to use plastic. You cannot bring any kind of mm. live or dead bait across the border from the United States into Canada anymore. Even if even night crawlers that are packed in bedding instead of soil used to be okay, but not anymore. Frozen bait, frozen minnows used to be okay. Dead minnows used to be okay, not anymore. It has to be all dead. Now, with that being said, people have been forced to use plastics, and at least on when up in the islands area. You know they've done very very well and they've been actually very happily surprised hey there's pros and cons one thing about a plastic nowadays you know with some of the different berkeley products and there's others but they got it impregnated with scent they got all different paddle tails twister tails all different colors you can cast them without your bait falling off if you're jigging over the side of the boat and you get hit you set that hook well if you had bait normally your bait would be off that walleye is still hot even though i missed it you can drop that plastic down for round two, and usually that fish is hot. They'll give you another shot at it. So there are some pros to using plastics, and uh, uh, so that you know what I do know. Some people on the main lake that use plastics, most are still using live baits. I tell you this: when I fish tournaments on Lake of the Woods and I'm jigging over the side of the boat, oftentimes what I'll do is I I would call it the the full meal deal, but I would use a, a jig with um, a plastic on it. I'd use like a, a emerald shiner. Um, Berkeley gulp alive and I would put that on my main jig and then I'd put a frozen emerald I'd put a piece of night crawler <laughs> then I'd put a spinner hook then I'd put two halves frozen shiners and one on each hook and then the third hook I put another piece of night crawler Jeez. it looked like a bulka you know just crazy but bulked up in that stained water and looking for bigger fish so I'd be jigging that and the fish loved it um, and then you know when I'd set the hook and miss one I still had that plastic on there so if that fish was still hot, I still had that profile. They'd, they'd come back and hit me again. It's funny. I told that to, to one of the locals up there, and he said, "Now, that's uh, that's only the two thirds full meal deal. You forgot the leech." Oh yeah, <laughs> it's like it's like uh, opening a uh, an all you can eat buffet and just yeah. ca casting a wide net, trying to get something to bite. You know, I we fished a lake last year. Dan and I were fishing, and we were in a congregated kind of community hole, and there were 
nobody was catching fish around us and we're all using minnows fatheads or creek chubs or something i'm sure and i we switched to plastics and all of a sudden we started catching walleyes and everyone was kind of side-eyeing us just a little bit and we're we're trying not to show them our secret a little bit but caught some pretty nice fish and uh the plastics that day whether it was something different or what the what the deal was uh was definitely the ticket uh, Joe, yeah, I got to tell you though, Brett. You know, I, I will say this too. You know, don't don't you think a lot of it has to do with confidence? Well, I I was losing confidence in the live bait that day and wanted to try something different. And there is there there is a plastic that I have that's kind of a go to on that lake, and uh, I've got a lot of confidence in it because it's done real well for me. You know, I, I just think that you just have to get on try stuff. You know, I was uh, talking to a friend of mine who. Uh, so a buddy of mine from high school in central Minnesota has a small company called, I'll just tell you, it's real small, Lena Lures. It's a bass fishing company, but, but he, he's got some uh, different swim baits and stuff. And when we were out bass fishing together, which is totally against my religion, if you don't, <laughs> I'm a walleye guy, you know, so we give each other a hard time. But uh, I told Todd, um, I told him, I said, you know, it's just a swim bait, right? He goes, Joey, those swim baits are so good. All you got to do is cast it and reel it. You don't have to get fancy with jigging it, and and they'll they're fairly weedless. You can cover water, and everything will hit them. And that's coming from a bass guy who accidentally catches nice walleyes doing that. And really, you know, when, from the walleye world, all a swim bait is to us is just a paddle tail on a jig. That's all it is. Yeah, right. So you know, this time of year, sometimes you don't want to get real fancy jigging it. You almost want it just coming through the water, nice and steady. You know, a lot of times you'll catch more fish with that cold water. Well, what did we see on that? Was it uh, McComas or Target Walleye had a they had a twenty nine inch walleye on there? They were bass fishing with chatterbait. With chatterbait. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, and in fact, I saw James Linder give a presentation at a an NPA National Professional Angling Association the meeting, and you know his whole presentation was. Um, catching a lot of nice walleyes on bass tackle. He talked about chatterbaits. He talked about wacky worms. He talked about, you know what I mean? So, but you know, part of that is you're fishing in areas sometimes with those baits that you wouldn't normally be fishing walleyes. A lot of it's thicker weeds. That's where you'd find the walleyes sometimes. And they're so hard to get in there to, to catch. Uh, you brought up crossing the border, Joe. And somebody asked me about this. A lot of people are starting to think about going to uh, the Canadian side. Uh, now that things are a little more relaxed, they're still not completely relaxed. I know there's some people out there that are still wondering about vaccination statuses to cross the border. And uh, I know every month they make decisions on border. Have you have you heard any type of rumors or any type of, uh, you know, chatter about maybe changing things? Or do you think it's going to stay the same for a while? I haven't heard anything. Um, I, I think, you know, and just to, to make it straight right now, as we speak, you got to be vaccinated. You got to use the Arrive Can app. You do not need a COVID test to go up. So that's kind of where things stand. I've not heard any changes. Uh, I'll be meeting with uh, um, the Canadian Consulate and uh, uh, Canada Border Services Agency later this week, next week, I guess. Um, so, yeah, I'll, I'll find out more. But you know what? I've heard nothing on the radar screen right now. It is what it is. And, uh, you know, um, I know some people that have actually gotten vaccinated because they want to get into Canada. Yeah. Well, yep. I know a lot of people and I know a lot of people that haven't got it that aren't taking trips to Canada because of it. So uh, curious to see as the summer tourism fishing tourism season begins, if anything else will uh, will change up there or not. But uh, if not, if nothing else, 
we'll just go back to Lake of the Woods. <laughs> well, you know, I tell you, it's been a, it's been, it, you know, it's so funny because we have a tale of two lakes, right? So on the south end, our south end resorts have been benefiting a little bit from some of the people not going to Canada because they go to the next best thing in their minds. And then our northwest angle resorts, that's where you have to travel 40 miles through Canada and then re-enter back into the United States if you're going to go there by vehicle. So we that area in some ways have been hurt, just like the Canadian resorts have been hurt. Because in essence, you're going – now, the only caveat to that is that you can get up to the angle by staying in the U.S. if you go by boat or by plane. Um, but other than that, so we've had our struggles up in that part of Lake of the Woods as well. So uh, before we let you go, Joe, we got to bring up Sturgeon just because uh, I saw Darren Troseth just put up a YouTube video this week. And when he posted about it, he said, a fun trip to the Rainy River with about as many big fish as I cared to catch. We didn't keep track, but I'm guessing about 40 total for three days of fishing. Yeah, I know it's way too long of a video, but whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and, he, and he was he was posting all these big fish pictures. I mean, just some some big big sturgeon. And then he was starting to edit, and he was asking for help. Like, hey guys, I got a lot of big fish that were fighting in this video. Do you want to see the whole fight? Because the video is going to be really long. And I commented like, when I edit fi fish videos for some of these big fish, if it's a fifteen minute fight. At some point, it's like, all right, you're going to fast forward or it's going to be too long or you're going to lose interest. So I end up having to try to edit creatively like most TV shows that are, you know, uh, confined to 22 minutes of broadcast time. You have to you have to get creative in some of those fish fights. Of course, YouTube, you can do whatever you want. But man, he he hammered big sturgeon up there, Joe. I'll tell you, I talked to I, I saw one post from or one comment from uh, some anglers. They said. And their comment on Facebook was something to the effect of the freaking rainy river is the real deal when it comes to sturgeon. We had 30 fish today, today, oh, yeah. you know, so that you know, some people really hit it this year. And, you know, it just goes to show that it's possible. Those fish are in good numbers. We got a lot big, a lot of big fish again this year. Um, it's, it bodes well. And I'll tell you what, right now the sturgeon season's closed. It closed May 15th was the last day. Um, it's going to be closed until July 1st. And then July 1st, it opens up again all the way into the fall. And that's the keep season. So if somebody ever wanted to come up and keep one, that's between 45 and 50 inches or one over 75 inches, one per calendar year, you could come up and, and get one. And some people smoke them and yeah, other people just choose to let them go. It, it just We have enough fish in the system that if you wanted to keep one, Trust me, the DNR is watching it real close, and, and, and the, this, the population's just fine. Yeah, the good old days are here, I think, for sturgeon fish, and they just keep getting better year after year. Well, Joe, if people want to learn more about making a trip to uh, the Rainy River or Lake of the Woods, or they want to get more info about season dates and regulations, you post all that stuff, too, on your website and social media. Yeah, you know what? We, we have a real active uh, you know Instagram and, and Facebook page. Just search Lake of the Woods Tourism. And, you know, our resorts are also real good resources for information. Otherwise, our website, we try to keep real active, real current. And that is lakeofthewoodsmn.com. Sporting Journal Radio is a division of Macaba LLC. If you've got a question, comment, or story idea for us, send us an email. Go to sportingjournalradio.com. While you're there, you can learn how to advertise on the show and visit our store for hats, hoodies, coffee mugs, and more. Go to sportingjournalradio.com.